My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon and I am joined once again by my co-host Pilar Orti. Pilar, it's lovely to have you back. It's lovely to be back. Hello, Richard. Hello, listeners. Did you miss me? (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did because I was sitting here talking and no one was responding and... Yeah, it was it was a very different experience. So it was really good to to have you back now. Thank you. <laughs> well, it gave me the chance to listen to the show because I never listen to anything that I am in unless it's an interview and I want to see how intelligent I sounded. Uh, but, <laughs> but so it was really nice to listen to the show as a full show and I I really enjoyed it. So well done you Richard and well done Ross for putting stuff together. It's um really nice and I really enjoyed the conversation on play. Uh, and if I understand correctly about resting through play or or or, or uh, re-energizing through play, I love that. Yeah, I mean, one, I, I needed to find a term that began with the letter P <laughs> so to fit in with this model. Um, but it's a it's a principle. So the principle of play mm. is whatever you do to recover, to re-energize, to look after yourself. Um, outside of work um, and also breaks during work, which then ultimately will contribute to the quality of your work and how productive you are. And I think it's something that gets ignored in a lot of the literature about people being more productive is how they look after themselves when they're not working. Yeah, and I really like, so So a couple of things resonated with me. One is um, where the guest, uh, what was her name, Kiara? What was her name? Kira Kelly. Kira Kelly. Yes. Uh, she was saying that sometimes if the break is uh, very different to the work, that that might help more. Uh, mm-hmm. And it reminded me that my my husband, he 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 trained as a model maker and now he works in a wood workshop and, and in a CNC workshop. And before he used to make stuff like with 3D printing, digital making. But mm. since he started working in that arena, he had to change his hobby. So he picked up photography again because his hobby was too similar to work. And so it was really difficult to disconnect. Yeah. So I found that very interesting. That's a great example. And it completely makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, if work and home start to resemble each other a bit too much, yeah. uh, you don't get the the pleasure associated with your hobby or your, or your pastime. Yeah. What I'm what I'm reminded of, though, is how many people take breaks from work from one screen and then go and stare at another screen mm-hmm. rather than doing something really removed from, from their work. So if there was a key takeaway from last time, I'd really encourage people to think more intentionally about how they disconnect from work and how they re-energize and really engage with non-work activities rather than simply, you know, find themselves slumped in front of a TV until it's time to go to sleep. And the other thing I found incredibly interesting that I hadn't thought about before was the autonomy aspect of taking a break. So how important it is that we have the autonomy to decide how we take that break and what Mm -hmm. that might mean in an organizational context when we want people to take breaks in a certain way. 
Absolutely. And, and of course, we know that we can really contribute to someone's well-being and their productivity and positive views of the workplace the, and their motivation if we give them more autonomy. So even something as simple as allowing them to decide when and how they manage that break can really contribute on positively on a number of levels. Yeah. So listeners, listen to that interview if you missed that episode or if you just joined us on the show. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> Um, so listen, we, we're, we're going to continue our discussion around aspects of productivity this time around. We're going to be looking at the, the value of self-awareness and understanding the people that we work with because you know, the vast majority of us will work with others, even if it's virtual. We will be working with others and be interdependent with them. But before we get stuck into that, uh, let's cover off a few points of news. So in productivity-themed news, we had um, the latest of our personal development at work meetup events in London, and that was with Paul Smith from Wise Amigo, and he and I took all of our delegates through the topic of procrastination, which is something we've discussed here before on the podcast. And the reason for that was we started the year by looking at how to set goals and pursue meaningful goals maybe avoid some of the, the the bear traps we can fall into when we want to learn something or change our behavior, whatever it might be, moving away from the New Year's resolution type approach. But of course, what's even if we've got an amazing goal and it's really well formed and we know exactly what we want to do differently, a lot can come between us and success. A lot can come between us and even starting. And many of those factors can come under the umbrella of procrastination. So I really enjoyed our session. I think our, our attendees really enjoyed it. It was very interactive. We had a lot of questions from the audience, which is what a meetup is all about. It's not intended as a lecture. So um, thank you to everyone who came. I know we got messages on the day from people who had to pull out and weren't able to, to join us. We are going to continue with the meetup. So I'll put a link to the meetup page in the show notes and you can join and you'll get email notifications when our next session is booked in. Uh, we'll be doing one towards the end of this month. This is April 2019. I don't know when you're listening to this, <laughs> but in any in any event, join the meetup group and um, we'll be continuing throughout the year with these, these uh, personal development topics. And listeners, if you can't attend those meetings or if you missed the one on procrastination, then episode seven of this show, we have a whole episode around that. You see, this is why it's so good to have you on this. Because <laughs> I've got my Trello board in front of me. <laughs> yeah, you're there beavering away in the background, putting some detail around uh, my my contribution. So thank you for that. Um, I, I wanted to share uh, a link. It, again, it'll be in the show notes that I encountered from the, the BPS Research Digest, which was um, a kind of a a gathering up and an examination of the evidence around mindfulness. And I like this, and I, it, there's a podcast to listen to there. There's an episode which is really worth a listen because, you know, when you weigh up the benefits of an intervention, uh, when you look at a concept that I think it's fair to say has been hugely popularized over the last few years, I think many people have gone from not even hearing the word mindfulness to assuming that it's good for everything and they can encounter it everywhere. I've just come from a meeting where mindfulness was being discussed. Um, that it's it's not a panacea. And um, that's the question that they ask in, 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 in the podcast. Is mindfulness a panacea or is it overhyped and potentially problematic? And the answer is it's neither a perfect 
cure for everything and and neither is it um, bad for everyone. So the, the answer is somewhere in the middle, as it should be with with most things that we encounter in the world of psychology. Yeah, and I loved it. And also it's really short, which just means it got straight, uh, straight to the point and really presented those arguments, those balanced arguments very close to each other, which I think is, is, is nice to give it a balanced approach. And I think anything that is making us think twice about something that we're hearing is great. Um, I think it's um, mm. it's a little bit, it, it takes me back to the point we were making before about that autonomy uh, of how we take breaks, just not assuming that everything is going to be good for, uh, good for everyone. And mm. I think that mm. when we look at mindfulness, we also need to ask that question. So great find. I would really encourage the people who have responsibility for learning and development in organizations to have a listen to this and to read some of the references that they include in that. They've got great links to the studies that are mentioned. Get beyond the marketing um, that you're being presented with and don't assume that mindfulness is going to really add value in your context. It might, but there might be something else that could add even more value or that it's right for some people, but not for everyone. So don't just add it to your list of offerings in your well-being program automatically. Um, go a little bit beyond what you think you know about mindfulness and then make a decision. Um, and I'd be really happy to have that conversation with any L&D practitioners that want to get in touch. Yeah, worklifepsych.com for the contact form. <laughs> yes. Um, and I will wait. I will wait for my email inbox to to fill on the back of that. Uh, but I think it's it's worthy of a of a, a debate and a discussion. Um, the only the other thing I wanted to um, reflect under the theme of of effectiveness, I ran a series of workshops in Dublin um, this uh, past month um, in March, all about helping individuals navigate the challenges of organizational change. And the reason I wanted to, to mention this in terms of, um, of news was it, it reflected a number of the things we've discussed on the podcast previously, but illustrated, I think, that these don't sit in isolation. These concepts don't live in buckets that are separate to each other. So, so to illustrate, you know, the, the delegates on the programs talked about the impact on their psychological contract of the change and how much of that psychological contract was vaguely realistic, for example, and how much they'd be prepared to talk to their line managers about. We talked about the role of emotions and we talked about how emotions can impact our behavior. We talked about sense of control. We talked about psychological flexibility and sometimes getting stuck with thoughts and emotions. And what I didn't do at all was any kind of change curve. You're all going on this journey in the same way, or this is the correct response to change, or you're definitely going to resist this change because people do. I took a very different perspective and a very individual and psychological one. And I think it was beneficial because the workshops were highly interactive and everyone left with an individualized plan of what they were going to do to help them navigate that change. And this isn't me sort of proudly bigging myself up. I really just wanted to make the point that all of these different concepts we talk about can be useful in different contexts and they are not in their own boxes, but they can really add value in the real world. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. So let's move on to our uh, main topic, which is another one of our principles from the, the, the pillars of productivity model that we've been discussing. So as we said in the intro the last time, it was play. Uh, 
This time, we're going to talk about another one which uh, I call perspectives. And perspectives is anything um, that is um, going on inside. So what contributes to your perspective on work? It's your personality, uh, your assumptions, your life experience to date, uh, the things that motivate you, your values, all of that stuff. What, why do you think, I think, that's important for productivity, Pilar? Why are we even talking about this? Because it affects your view of the world and, and from that, the view of what you should be getting on uh, with and, uh, and also your own, your own role within the process. Did I, I, I hit anything? Be- <laughs> yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I, I didn't want to talk over you. So your view of the world is, is, is really what I'm getting at. And if we develop this self-awareness, that's the crux of this. If you can develop your self-awareness, you, you know more about yourself. You know more about what your strengths are. You know more about what your development areas are. Maybe more about what you're more likely to procrastinate about. Yeah. Um, maybe work on some of the blind spots uh, that contribute to you having difficulties at work. Um, it, it improves, you know, the honesty um, that you can have about yourself and uh, contributes to your productivity in the broadest sense, doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. But if we know about ourselves, we can then turn that lens on the people that we work with and learn more about them and how they like to approach things so that we can work better more cooperatively um, and and fulfill that interdependence that's there. Because one of the challenges I regularly see with people who focus on developing their productivity is that they forget about everyone else and they inflict their way of working on the people around them because they found the one true system, if you like. And that's not going to work. Uh, whereas if we can take account of the preferences and the perspectives of the other people, we can then build something that works for both of us, for all of us in, in a team situation. I love that idea of self-awareness helping you to then be aware of what others' uh, preferences and styles, etc., are. I really like that looking inside to be able to then look out again and, and, and again to make that relationship work. Love that concept. If, if you're able to look inwards, you can then be honest with yourself about how well things are going. You know, is this approach I'm, I'm using really working for me? Is it working for other people? Am I, am I causing some of my own problems, if I'm honest with myself? And if you're able to understand more about your personality, and I don't mean in, in a technical sense, but to know more about what you're like at work, you can then make informed decisions about what's going to work for you. What's your comfort zone? When might you be required to step out of that comfort zone? And when you do, how do you typically respond? So productivity problems that come up in coaching all the time are not the day-to-day, it's when someone's under pressure. How do they deal with that? How do they meet their targets when it all feels a bit too much? And we spend a lot of time exploring their thinking and their personality to allow them to understand, oh yeah, this is a pattern. I've done this before and again and again. So maybe how do I break this pattern? Self-awareness is a great step. And then what do we do with that is the next step. Otherwise, we can fall into that trap of, well, this is me. You need to like that. (laughs) It's just how I am. How many times have we heard people say that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like as well what you were saying about being aware of where our preferences lie so as not to impose our methods on other people and just understand that that's how we work best. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it can be really difficult mm. if you're passionately attached to something and you think this is the best way to organize our knowledge or this is the best way. This is where we should focus our attention on these kinds of tasks and not these. Well, someone else could have an absolute opposite view of the world to you. And if you if you don't even think that that might be the case, if you're not even aware that that could lead, lead to conflict, it could lead to misunderstandings and it's going to damage relationships. And with this interdependence, we need to work well together and understand each other's perspectives. So rather than this be a deep dive into personality, uh, full stop, it's to flag the principle that self-awareness is really helpful if you want to do your best job and understanding others' perspectives is only going to add to that. And that can be useful as well. So I interviewed uh, another psychologist because I know that people like it when I'm not doing all the talking, but an expert in, in uh, personality and individual differences. So what we've got is an interview coming up with Justin McNamara. I've known Justin for many, many years. Uh, we worked together while he was based here in London. He's now relocated back home to Australia where I was delighted to hear um, that it was lashing rain because uh, he lives on the Sunshine Coast, but I, you know, I, I really want him to not <laughs> have all that sunshine. I'm really, really jealous of that. So what we did was explore personality, um, explored ways that we could learn more about ourselves and learn more about the people around us without having to get really technical or fill in questionnaires what kind of things could we do to learn more about ourselves and those around us? And if we know more about our personality, what kind of personality factors can have an impact on our productivity day to day? And um, Justin was able to shed a lot of light on that. It was a great, enjoyable chat. I hope um, everyone here finds it uh, the same. I'll be putting um, links so that you can get in touch with Justin if you've got follow-up questions for him. If you've got questions for me or Pilar, you can uh, send them on Twitter. Uh, it's at my pocket psych, or if you've got something much longer, you can send that via the contact form on worklifepsych.com. Hope you enjoy uh, this um, episode's interview and that you'll return for next time while we continue our focus on productivity. But for now, thank you very much, Pilar, and to everyone else, thank you for listening. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Justin McNamara. We're, we're Skyping each other because you're, you're not exactly down the road from me, are you, Justin? Not anymore. I'm on the other side of the world in the lovely Sunshine Coast of Australia. Such, such excellent branding there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the irony is we were talking about just beforehand, there's nothing but rain around today. So it's uh, aspirational in naming only. I'd love to live anywhere with sunshine in the title. Um, <laughs> Justin, it's great to speak with you. Um, li listen, let's start off by talking a little bit about you so our listeners can learn about who you are and, and what you do and where you come from. Um, do you want to give us a brief introduction to, to you professionally and how you've got to where you are today? Sure can. Uh, I describe myself as a nerdy psychologist <laughs> in the sense I, um, I enjoy things around sort of psychometrics and selection and helping generally larger companies around questions of whom to hire and who to promote and doing fun things with things that are fashionable now, you know, machine learning, which we just call statistics. Um, so I guess my path is, is similar to yourself in that I studied uh, occupational or organisational psychology, depending on where you are in the world. 
and then worked a fair bit in the railways, actually, in Australia and, and the UK, and then started to work for myself. And um, during that time, really started to specialise around talent and selection and assessment and psychometrics and those sorts of things. Super. So, I mean, today we're going to be talking about the role of personality, individual differences, our, our way of seeing the world. And uh, you, uh, to my mind, are, are one of the people I reach out to when I've got questions about personality uh, and individual differences. So I think you're, you're really well placed to, to join me today for, for this conversation. One of the things um, that listeners will be familiar with is that we try and take different views on what it could mean to be productive in the workplace. There's no one size fits all. And I don't think, I don't think I've ever recommended a one size fits all solution because uh, I'm not, I'm not a fan of them. When we think about being productive at work, one of the most important things is to consider what makes us an individual which underlines that there are no one-size-fits-all solutions. And thinking about yourself as an individual and what makes you unique, I think, can help people understand why a certain method or approach or app or tool might necessarily work for them when it can work for someone else. And I think that could be really helpful. But let's wind back a little bit. What do we mean when we talk about personality? What what what's the personality in a nutshell definition that you share with your clients? Sure, there's there's probably a couple that I like, and one is simply our preferred way to think, feel, and behave, uh, and I quite like that because it's there's that flexibility around preference for each of those different areas, and that links to the second one that I quite like, which is our behavioural posture. And I really quite like that from, um, I stole it from Lee Crumback, a psych from, from many decades ago. But I really quite like that analogy because we all have our existing posture. Um, often when we were younger, we were corrected that maybe it could be slightly different if, if we wanted a better outcome, maybe a better appearance at that point in time. We know that with effort, we can flex or, or change that posture. And potentially, you know, when we're back to default, maybe under stress or under a bit of pressure, we might go back to that posture that feels most natural uh, and comfortable to us. So there are probably a couple of definitions that, that come to mind to me. I, I like both of those because they do underline that flexibility. And I think one of the misunderstandings that I encounter is uh, among, you know, non-psychologists, among normal people, is personality <laughs> is quite fixed. It's quite mm. um, inflexible. It's, you know, maybe something you're born this way and that's it. And, and that can be limiting for the individual and it can lead to all kinds of unhelpful consequences. One of which that springs to mind is the, this is how I am, like it or lump it approach, rather than maybe I could flex my style. Maybe I could look at this a different way. So what do you see as being the main benefit to people having a good understanding of, of personality and their own personality in particular? Well, there are a lot of different benefits, actually. Our, our personality links to lots of real-world outcomes, if you like. So our, our happiness, our health, um, what we achieve in our careers, um, 
the quality of our relationships. So there's a, a huge benefit to understanding that. And I guess probably being in the driver's seat around that. So, I mean, you were talking about being productive before and, and not taking a one size fits all. I think if you want to have a clearer picture about why you're achieving the outcomes that you are in your life, and they could be outcomes that are positive, so the, the goals that you're setting for yourself and, and reaching, or potentially the gaps, yeah. you know, your aspirations where you're not making the headway, not making the progress repeatedly that you assumed would come in time then getting a bit more self-insight can be a excellent starting point. And, and once you have that self-insight, then the logical next step is to try and apply some of that self-insight to others. Because often we are working or, you know, the goals, our, our ambitions are also linked to those around us. So having an appreciation of others can also be very useful. That, that's a big part of um, when we talk about productivity is to talk about the context in which you're trying to be productive, whatever that means for you. And, and the vast majority of us work in some kind of interdependent context. We need other people for us to be successful. They need us. We, we have to work in some kind of cooperative way, whether they be colleagues or clients or other stakeholders. So understanding how they like to do things can be great. Um, you know, when we when we think about how we understand ourselves a little bit better, what what's what's some of the ways that you would recommend that people can develop this insight about their personality? Well, there are a range of different um, mechanisms or, or methods out there for us. I mean, I touched upon psychometrics uh, at the beginning of the call, and so obviously that's a, a passion for me. But there are ample self-report personality questionnaires out there. Um, no doubt some good and, and some less good ones that we can potentially explore around that, but that's mm. a, a great starting point. Um, additionally, you know, it's very easy to get feedback from other people. Yeah. So uh, trusted colleagues and loved ones can be particularly useful. And I, I choose the word trusted carefully because often we um, will flick off feedback if it comes from a, a giver who we don't particularly respect. So I think that can, getting that feedback can be powerful and taking just some basic self-reflection can also be very useful. So independent of any third-party mechanism to actually sit down and think, okay, so, you know, what have I achieved or what am I moving towards that I'm happy with? You know, what are some of the steps I do daily or weekly that are moving me towards that? And what are some other areas where I'm not getting the progress that I want? And what am I currently doing in those areas? So I think there are a range of options available to people from, you know, completely independent sort of self-report questionnaires through to taking some quiet time and, and just consciously focusing on their actions and behavior or lack thereof in relation to, to their goals or aspirations. And that's a message I've been hammering home uh, for quite some time when we've been talking about these themes on the podcast, which is the need to step out of being busy all the time mm -hmm. and to engage in a bit of reflection to understand more about what you do how you do it why you do it rather than mere survival day to day just scraping through in terms of, of workload and priorities and everything so it, it's great to hear that message being uh, underlined that simply taking some time out and thinking about you and how you do things and why you do them can be a, a great addition to give you some of that insight Let's let's take a step back, though. You mentioned psychometrics. I, I know a lot of people who listen 
to this podcast uh, may have completed some form of personality questionnaire at some point in time. And you mentioned there are some that are better than, better than others. How would someone know if they've completed a, in inverted commas, good rather than a bad questionnaire? Well, there's probably a, a range of different um, markers that we might look for, but I think a good starting point is is what the questionnaire is claiming to measure. So from a, a research point of view, our strongest bastion, if you like, our, our most research area looks at five main areas of personality. Uh, so those are things around how open we are to new experiences, how conscientious we are in our focus towards our different goals, our um, level of, sort of sociability or extroversion that we may display, how agreeable, uh, nice that we play with other people, and then the role emotions play within us. So that that constitutes from a psych angle our big five areas of personality. And there's you know, decades of research supporting that that's a really great model to take. And what's really great about it is those five areas give us a good high-level summary. We definitely get more detail if we if we dig down further, but as a starting point, that's an excellent summary. But they really take the viewpoint that it's a continuum. So that is, there's no um, absolutes. People aren't put into boxes. Uh, they aren't put into types, if you like. But actually, we're on a scale. So you imagine almost like a, a sliding scale like we use with height or weight or temperature or volume. And we know that people vary by degrees, with most of us being towards the middle in these different areas. So I think that's probably a, an excellent starting point to look at what the the personality self-report is looking to measure and look for some evidence or linkage back to those big five personality areas. Fantastic. And I, I was on Pilar's own podcast a while back talking about psychological terms. She now has me explaining them to her listeners um, under time pressure, which is a great experience as a psychologist. <laughs> I'll obviously get this completely right every time uh, is the thinking. And in, in talking about personality, one of the things I mentioned was, you know, it's highly unlikely that if you've completed something on a social network, that it's going to give you a fantastically accurate picture of you as a person, except that maybe you like to complete questionnaires online. So the context in which you've done this is, is really important. And I, I think the reference to the big five and understanding what's being measured is, is, is equally important. I wrote a blog post um, a couple of months back now, I think, called I called it Don't Fence Me In which was about mm. the limitations that we can place on ourselves or others when we have an oversimplistic view of personality. And I think that comes back to the, uh, it's written in, in stone. It is what it is. It can't be changed. Or you can only do that or you can't do that because of your, your personality. And what's coming through in your perspective on this is the flexibility of that, um, the importance to, to hold it lightly. I guess, and not have it as an absolute or a category or a box to put someone in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, those categorical frameworks um, are lovely through their simplicity, but sadly they sacrifice accuracy right, through that mm. different model. And I think probably to underscore a couple of other points you've talked around is, is it just what we're learning over time around personality. And there's some you know wonderful research that's ongoing around this and one that's looking at heritability. So how much of this is coming from our genes versus our environment? And that's sort of putting estimates for those areas of the big five, maybe as low as 30%. 
up to 50%. So there's a, there's a big role of our context, of our environment that's going on. And then there's some really interesting stuff around stage of life. And that's showing that personality is quite malleable or, or goes through some important changes up to around the age of around 30. Right? So there's some key life changes that lots of us go through and that impacts our personality. And, you know, the research shows that, you know, big life events continue to impact our personality, such as, you know, you imagine a divorce or having children or a change of country. And then uh, some more recent research looking at that sort of flexibility and, and malleability kicking back in towards retirement ages. So uh, 50, 60 and so forth, where, you know, once again, it, it makes intuitive sense, I think, to us. There's a lot more life change uh, going on in that in that space. So, yes, we'll definitely underscore the points that you're highlighting there. There's a lot of flex and, and um, conscious control that we can place on our behaviours, so what we actually do or, or don't do in situations, and then the corresponding outcomes that we achieve. And so that underlines the benefits potentially of when you're reflecting about yourself and how you like to work and uh, what's working for you is to reflect on how that might have changed over your career depending on how long your career is behind you um, and maybe how you've adapted to changing circumstances which I think it can always be useful because it demonstrates the flexibility that's inherent in your behavior and I think that's a misunderstanding a lot of people have which is my personality equals my behavior rather mm. than personality is a, is a perspective um, it's a preference but I have a lot more control over my behavior than maybe I think I do. Yeah, I, mean, I think it also links back to something earlier that you mentioned, which is what am I doing now? You know, what am I consciously wanting to focus my attention on? And so in a sense, it's very easy, I think, you know, particularly once we we start a certain cycle, be that, you know, certain study or certain career paths that we get into repeat. We keep doing the same sort of patterns, which likely means that we achieve the same sort of results repeatedly. So we're likely to have areas of, of strength and, and development across our life experience, if you will. But actually pausing, you know, as you're indicating and saying, you know, where are my values aligned? What is important to me right now? How am I doing in those areas? Do I need to consciously think about doing something different if I want to achieve a different outcome? Yeah. So, so to summarize, if you want to build our self-awareness uh, to potentially make some changes about how we operate at work, we can use the feedback we've had from trusted others. We can have a good uh, period of reflection ourselves. Uh, we could use the outputs from a personality questionnaire, depending on its quality. Uh, that's not an absolute must-have, but many people might have a report to hand that they've done over the last couple of years. Um, and so looking at those things can give us a view of um, our strengths, our development areas, how we like to be. And that can give us a hint as to why certain things are working for us and why potentially they're not. And we therefore need to remember that it's our behavior that we can really change and try new things to experiment, to see what's going to work for us, what's going to get us that result and what we might want to stop doing because it is potentially like a procrastination habit. It's not helping us in the, uh, in the medium to longer term. Yep, sounds good. So if we if if we do that, right, that tick in the box, I've done my reflection. <laughs> I did that. Um, I did that over the weekend. Um, how can I learn more about the people I work with? Because I'm not in their heads. I probably don't have a personality profile that sets out them. Um, 
if I want to work, work positively and independently, uh, interdependently and, and be as productive as, as we can, what is it I can do to find out more about them? Well, the beauty is our, our personality comes through uh, lots of different mediums. Um, so, for example, we can just listen to others. What are the, the words that they continue used? Uh, what do they anchor themselves against? You know, the certain values when they um, when someone gets upset about a standard not being met. What's the why uh, that they link that back to? What's important to them? How do they structure their emails? Are they long, waffly emails that are you know focused on what someone did over the weekend? Are they straight to straight to task and very short and succinct? Um, so I think there's some really useful data that comes through every day with our interactions with others, be that through emails or reports or, you know, one-to-one communications. So I think that's a great starting point, right? What are the words that people um, continue to use right, in written or in verbal form? Because that's going to give you a great insight into what's important for them. And then, as you mentioned, you know, we don't we don't have this all-seeing uh, insight into others. And depressingly for you and I, even as psychologists, we can't read minds just yet. Nope. Um, so we can ask. Right? So when we're sitting down and, and we're working with individuals and we're working towards a, a key outcome, we can talk about, um, you, know, you know, a great one is around timeliness of deliverables. Um, someone may, you know, want to have a, a good week before something is going to be submitted to a to a third party to review it or integrate other sorts of data points. Whereas we might be a last minute person, and so there could be great, you know, sources of of tension just dissolved by through upfront having a conversation about, okay, so what do we need to achieve together? When do we need to get these different bits of information to one another? So you know, we're both in a good space. I think that's a really good way of looking at it because, um, one, I agree with it, but, <laughs> but also these things uh, anyone can do. So it doesn't require any particular expertise or knowledge of psychology. It is about observing, paying attention to the people around you and looking for trends in what they do, what they say, and how that's similar to you and maybe how it's different to you. And depending on how closely you work with them, having a conversation about that. You know, I think we could do more listening and we could do with more conversations about what's really important and how we like to achieve things together rather than, which might be the default, rather than assuming that they are like me and then being very surprised when I find out that they're not like me and they like to uh, reach their goals in a different way or that their values are quite different to mine. And then that could potentially, potentially turn into an element of, of conflict, if not just some disappointment. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely underscore that point that our default position seems to be that, you know, others are identical to me, hence the, the shock and horror when people don't react or love our, our initial approach. And probably just to underscore that uh, observation method, that's actually a, a technique I recommend to, you know, lots of um, leaders mm. who feel that they lack confidence or gravitas as the, you know, the sexy label sometimes mm-hmm. is trotted out. But in a meeting, right, because, you know, often many of us in the workforce lose many years of our lives in boring meetings. But if you can observe, allocate some of your, you know, I'm sure additional resources to watching someone in that meeting who you think is particularly confident, then you can learn mountains around, for example, how they use their body. How are their shoulders positioned? When they speak, how do they use their hands? What's their intonation pattern like? 
you know, which words do they emphasise? Are they at the beginning or the end of sentences? How long are their sentences? So there's so much, I think, that can be learned, you know, level one, as we've talked about, just to appreciate someone who's different. But then level two, it can be a very easy um, first step to think, well, look, here's a gap in my own arsenal, something else I'd like to develop to make me rounded or, or bring me closer to my goals. What are people doing around me who I think are successful in that space mm. that potentially I can copy and make my own? I, I think that's a, a great point. And that comes up in, in coaching for me quite a bit when individuals are working on uh, an area of development and and there maybe their gut is, I need to go and buy some books to tell me what mm. to do. And I would always normally ask them, is there someone in your environment that you think does a good job of this? Is there someone mm. who seems to deliver on time with time left over? Is there someone who responds to pressure in a more relaxed way that you would like to respond to? Is there somebody who seems to have the time to help others and, you know, talk to them? watch them, find out how it is that they do that. It's not simply about copying someone without understanding why they do it that way, but but being able to observe uh, skills, observe excellence around you can be a great uh, first step because you can then realize it can be done. It can be done by someone I know, and therefore I have access to them to ask them some questions about what's the secret of how you remain calm or what's the secret of how you don't seem to forget things that are asked of you or don't panic when deadlines are approaching. Uh, and, and so this doesn't need to be a mystery or require go on some training or buy mm. a, a magical book. It's watch what's happening around you, which underlines one of the previous principles we've talked about when it comes to productivity, which is uh, what I've called presence, because they all begin with a P, uh, presence, <laughs> which is just being here now, noticing, paying attention to what you're doing, paying attention to the environment that you're in. And that that is what we would leverage when we're in a meeting and we're watching and listening to the other people rather than drifting off in our own minds or rather than getting caught up in our own thoughts, we're able to dedicate that focus to what's important, what, what really uh, deserves our, our limited attention. So there's no one size fits all when it comes to being productive because it means so many different things and there's so many different roles and people and cultures out there. Therefore, there's no one size perfect personality. Um, but would you uh, suggest there are aspects of our personality that could support someone's productivity? And might that be something they could pay attention to when they're reflecting on their own personality? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to second your caveat, we um, we can't do a, a perfect one-size-fits-all solution. But yeah, there are definitely two areas of those big five that we talked about before that sort of come to mind. One is conscientiousness. So um, that sort of is our, our goal-directed behaviour. So we have one aspect of that, which is around achieving things, getting things done. And the other aspect is about being a bit more ordered and structured and following rules. So giving some thought around that area is definitely one thing that comes to mind. And the other area is around the role of emotions uh, that, that come to play for us. And, and these emotions... Um, often kick in when we perceive there might be some threat to some of the goals that we might have and they have the potential to derail or, or take energy away from us achieving the types of outcomes that we want to uh, reach and therefore be less productive. Mm. 
And so if we are a less conscientious person by default, um, areas we might want to work on are understanding how we might organize ourselves a little better. So behaviorally, how we can, with intention, put some kind of a system in place or pay, pay attention to that because we know it's not our default. And when it comes to emotions, to be aware of maybe the situations, the people, the tasks that have tended to spark those emotions within us so that we can be aware of that and maybe prepare or respond a bit more helpfully to those situations. Yeah, they're, they're definitely good aspects. I mean, one of the things around the the research that's very interesting with with conscientiousness, and it has that sort of split. One is we've talked a bit about that order and and being quite structured. That appears less useful than the achievement focus, mm. where the goal there is about basically avoiding distractions. That seems to be the big killer because that focus really this is about our goals that you know probably aren't short term like uh, feeding ourselves this is now things we want to achieve over days weeks months or potentially years so that's um focus on that medium term being very clear i think on the why behind your goal uh, you know what, what you're what you're wanting to be productive towards, if you like, mm. is very important. So that's very clear and and personal to you. And then, as you mentioned, if you are um, lower naturally on that conscientious end, like someone like me is, what you're going to do to proactively manage distractions is key. So, for example, I've heard you talk in the past, Richard, around push notifications, mm. right, for emails or the right, great proactive step someone can take to manage distractions, right? It might also be thinking about, you know, we talk about self-reflection. When is someone most productive? You know, we know that there are some people who might be more productive first thing in the morning or it might be later at night. People can probably work that out pretty quickly. That time should be precious, right? That's the time that ideally should be um, pushed towards achieving these very key outcomes in their life. So that's probably an important point to underscore around uh, that aspect of conscientiousness. Does that make sense before yeah, it, I maybe touch upon the emotions? Bit? It, it absolutely makes sense because that word has a specific meaning from a personality perspective, but in, mm. in common language, it can be used um, to refer to a skill or used in a derogatory way. If we say that mm. someone isn't conscientious, it, it sort mm. of implies they don't care. And that's not mm. what we're talking about here. It's the, the personality factor, conscientiousness. But I think what we're both saying, and I agree with you, is that we can work around our default personality preference, wherever it is on the scale, should the situation demand it. We can behave more conscientiously if it's important to us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think the the second area we briefly touched upon was in that role of emotions. And, and you highlight a lot of good strategies there around, you know, being conscious of context and, and individuals that may spark that. And I think complementing that is around trying to make or put ourselves in the driver's seat behind some of those emotions. So often what's happening here is we are perceiving that there is a potential threat, right? So for example, we have the goal of, of being promoted, but we have to present to, you know, annoying person from accounts who asks us all these detailed questions and, and we feel like a fraud. So we have all these negative feelings associated with that and, and that blocks us. Um, reaching or moving towards our particular goal. So actually trying to just consciously capture 
what those specific emotions or, or those thoughts that come to mind for us when we're not feeling at our best. And I think trying to objectively challenge them. And this is something, once again, with your coaching background, you're, you're well-versed to elaborate on, Richard, but there is some very good science now around if we go through a, you know some structured exercises to identify what those particular triggers might be for us, if we can list down some of the, the activating thoughts or, or things that we link around that, then we can, over time, objectively challenge those and then achieve some some better outcomes and, and potentially avoid some of those um, hotter emotions, frustration or disappointment, or that worry and concern about what, what might go wrong in the future. Does that make sense as well? It, it absolutely does. And, and as we all know as human beings, very strong emotions can move us away from where our focus might be better placed in the moment. It can mm. result in us regretting our actions or regretting our inaction. And so mm. getting a, a handle on those and a better understanding of where they come from, what they feel like, developing our emotional literacy, in other words, can can be very useful. I don't think what either of us would, would recommend is some kind of denial of those emotions or trying to mm. switch them off. We're emotional creatures. But as list, regular listeners to the podcast will, will know, you know, I'm an advocate of understanding when it's useful to act on those emotions and when it's unhelpful to do that and to realize you can feel one thing and yet do another. So in your example, I can feel nervous about the questions I'm going to get from the, the, the person in finance, my helpful colleague in finance with all of the <laughs> detailed questions about my proposal. And yet it's important to me to get this proposal passed. That's the important thing, not what I feel about it. And so I can keep going in the face of that nervousness and, and that anxiety. And that's okay. I can do it despite what I'm feeling. I think it's problematic if people encounter challenges when they act how they feel. And and that comes back to uh, discussions we've previously had about why we don't achieve what we want to achieve, uh, why we're distracted, why we might procrastinate. Uh, all, all of those things is potentially we're acting on either a strong feeling and going with it or an intrusive or unwelcome thought. And mm. the mantra listeners will be used to me saying is that a thought is just a thought. It's not an instruction. It's not possibly even literally true. It's just another passing experience that you're having uh, in your mental experience. And so, you know, all of these things hang together. Uh, we're not saying that personality is a completely different chapter of the book of productivity, but this theme means that we're reflecting on how do I see the world? How do I like to be? And how might it be helpful for me to be different? And we're also saying, how can I learn more about the people around me and their perspective on the world so that we can work more um, positively and get those good results that we all want. And that takes reflection, that takes discussion, that takes a level of openness. I, th I think that's what we're both talking about. Yeah, completely agree. Great. So from your perspective, any thoughts on what it means to be productive when it comes to personality and or, or, or general perspective on, on the world of work? What, I've, I've um, shared my, my working definition consistently is doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. That's easy enough to remember. When you think about your expertise and your understanding of what makes people tick, what do you think is one of the most important things people should be aware of? I think it's being very clear on their goals. That's probably what I see. And uh, to be clear, I spend a lot of time with 
um, that context I mentioned at the be- beginning of the call about whom to hire and who to promote. So that's a lot of the lens, if you like, that, mm. uh, that I partner with bigger companies around. And so particularly around people who are very clear on their goals, then they will structure their time and then often their achievements will follow because they are so clear on those particular goals. Versus people who perhaps have earlier, I'm going to say success and, and couple that with productivity in, a, in sort of a career lens, where their default style takes them so far. But then, you know, particularly in the leadership, the leadership sphere, they start hitting the ceiling, right? They, they no longer get the promotions. They start switching jobs or companies because they feel that, you know, those other companies don't appreciate them, don't see their real talents. And so in a sense, that's where I think that productivity drop-off begins because they don't take that ownership of one, what are my goals? And then two, what do I need to start flexing or complementing from my default settings? to start achieving these goals that I'm very committed uh, towards obtaining. Super. Uh, I, I agree, which obviously makes you right. Uh, but it's a really mm. nice summary of, of what you've seen from, from a different perspective where I, I would normally work, which is in the development space. And those, those things come through. We know that goal setting can be a very powerful activity when it's done well um, for, for many, many people in the world of work. You've also really neatly summarized two of the principles that we've talked about before so far in this series, getting clarity on your purpose, the why I want to be productive and, and what it means to me, what am I working towards and how do my values play a part? what's important to me in my life and and the priorities you know um how am i going to use my limited time my limited attention my limited energy in the pursuit of what what's that going to look like for me across all the different roles that i have so it's nice to see um an off an off the cuff but informed response Mm -hmm. um that reflects that as well good Justin, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me for the podcast. Considering, one, the time difference, I'm starting my day. You're winding yours (laughs) up, I hope. (laughs) Hopefully, this is the last thing you've got on your plate for today. Well, apart from my uh, two little boys who will keep me entertained, I think, rather than going to sleep. But that's not work. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Says the (laughs) non-parent. But it's been my absolute pleasure, Richard. So thank you very much for making the time to have the conversation with me as well. Oh, thanks, Justin. Look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.